Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Excited to, to finish this series that we've been in called Relation Slips. Somebody say Relation Slips. Relation Slips. And we've been talking about the different type of relationships that we have in our lives. They're, they're, all relationships can be boiled down to these four big buckets. They might look a different way. You might have a different perspective of them. But essentially, there are family relationships. There are romantic relationships. There's situational relationships, which I talked about last week. Today, I'm going to talk about friendship now. We're going to go now. Now, this is different than situational relationship because a friendship is where you have a lot of say in the matter. Like, you don't get to control who your boss is. Uh, uh, you know, when you go to school, you don't really control who your classmates are going to be. That's a situational relationship with your friendships. You have a lot of say in who you get to bring into your circle. You have all the say in terms of who you're going to allow to have access to you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about friendships. Look at your neighbor and tell them friendships. All right, let's read Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20 reads as follows. And this is from the New Living Translation. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. <laughs> this is one of those verses in the Bible that is just plain, right? Like, like th- this is attributed to, to King, uh, King Solomon, is attributed as the author for all these Proverbs. He says this very, very diplomatically. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. But you start associating with fools, and you're going to get in trouble. Now, my mama said it a little differently, and perhaps your mom said it a little differently, but it means the same thing. How many of you had a mama that said this? Show me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. You had a mama that said that to you? I mean, she didn't have the wisdom of Solomon, but she packed the same punch, you know? Show me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. So I want to talk to you on this thought today, and it's asking you the question. The title's in the form of the question. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Let's take a moment to pray and dive in. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your presence that is here. We thank you for this day that we get to come together in community, celebrate you, worship you together. And Father, now to sit at your feet and hear a message out of your scriptures. Father, in these moments, I pray that we open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us. I pray that all of the noise, the distractions, the things that are competing for our attention, that they would be blocked for the rest of this service, that we would just really lean into your word right now and lean into what your spirit is saying. God, I believe that as I preach to this group, Lord, your spirit is going to deposit an individual, unique word that every person needs to hear right now. We thank you in advance for what you're getting ready to do. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Clap your hands, everybody. You may be seated. Let's talk about this. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Now, For those of you that know me, I grew up in Chula Vista. I am a Chula Vista 
kid. I'm a kid from the South Bay. And if you don't know what that is, that means I'm five minutes north of the border. You just got to get through San Ysidro. And there we are right there, Chula Vista. So we are really, really close to the border of Mexico. Like, like really, I mean, throw a rock, we're going to hit it. Okay. So that's how close we are to the border, Mexico. So I, I grew up and I, I grew up and I found myself in, in kind of a strange place especially because of where I lived. And, and here's, here's the strange place that I grew up with, okay? I, I, I am Mexican. Both of my parents are Mexican. I'm not just Latino. I am Mexican, okay, of Mexico, okay? That's, that, that's where my parents are from. That's where all the DNA is coming from. Now, I was born in the beautiful city of San Diego. Sometimes I should call it the beautiful country of San Diego, but uh, I was born in this beautiful city, and so I am American by nationality, but um, I am made with Mexican parts, praise God. So um, now, now growing up, um, Mexican, growing up in Chula Vista in the South Bay, it's just like expected of you that you speak Spanish if you're Mexican. It's just expected that you have to be able to be bilingual. And the thing is, I wasn't. My parents didn't teach me Spanish growing up. You see, my dad made a very conscientious decision because of my dad's experience. When my dad migrated to Chula Vista, uh, when my dad migrated to San Diego from Tijuana, he experienced a lot of bullying because he only knew how to speak Spanish. So he said, you know, I don't want that for my kids. They're not going to go through what I had to go through. So my dad said, I'm going to teach my kids English first, and they'll learn Spanish later. Family, I never quite learned Spanish later. I mean, I, I thought I would, but I mean, I got really good at ordering food in Spanish. You know what I'm saying? In some seasons of my life, I got too good at that. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but <laughs> not speaking Spanish and living that close to the border of Mexico presented some problems to me. Because when I got to school, now all of a sudden, and again, when you go to a school in Chile, you got kids actually come into school from Tijuana, you know what I'm saying? And so they, they just like start talking to me in Spanish, and I'm like, oh, no hablo espanol, you know? It's like... <laughs> I kind of got away with it through my grandmother because my grand. thank God for grandmas. Come on, I just love grandmas. Give it up for grandmas. They were so patient with me. I'd say the wrong things, and they, didn't, they loved me too much to even correct me. You know what I'm saying? So I got away with it with grandma, but then some of the people, they'd be talking Spanish, and I'd be like, whoa, slow down, slow down. Let me, you're talking too fast. I don't understand you. And so getting into high school now, that that situation, it felt like it just compounded now. You know what I'm saying? So so I'm in high school, and I don't speak Spanish, but I'm Mexican. And so what ended up happening was I was a little too white to hang out with the Mexicans because I didn't speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah, just, just a little too white to hang out with the Mexicans, but I was too Mexican to hang out with the white people. So... I was like in this tension where I'm too white to be Mexican, too Mexican to be white. And that's where I found myself. So do you want to know what happened? I ended up hanging out with all the Filipino people. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Thank God for Filipino people. I mean, my dad could be my way. All my best friends were Filipino. I mean, they just took me in. They just adopted me. And I said, I like you people, man. Your food is good. You love people. This is great. You don't judge me. And it's funny because, like, as I got older and, and in my 30s, I started doing this thing called triathlon. And, and, and in 2015, this is how Filipino I became. In 2015, I got the award for the Filipino-American Triathlete of the Year. And I'm Mexican. <laughs> 
I, w- I was looking for the certificate last night. I wanted to take a picture. And you guys think, no, no, for real. They gave me this award, you know, Filipino-American triathlete of the year. I'm like, okay. But, but <laughs> all that to say, all that to say is like, I found my people. And everybody needs their people. And that was my people. You might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with anything? I'm healing right now, okay? Let me process. I'm processing right in front of all of you all. No, I'm kidding. But what I am talking about, I used had to say that we are going to talk about your people today because everybody needs people. You all need people. Let me get into my message now. When, when we look at the scriptures, we know and we see that God has designed us to live in relationships and to live in community with other people. Amen? I know so all the introverts are like, yeah. But yeah, 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 he, he created you to live life, and he created you to live in community with other people. If you look all the way back in Genesis, God was creating everything. I've said this, but it's worth repeating. God would create everything, and at the end of everything he created, he would say, it's good. This is good. And then he creates Adam, and then he goes, oh, it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's the first time God said, this is not good. Everything else that he created, he says, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then he sees Adam, and he sees Adam alone. He goes, oh, that's not good. That's not good. So what does he do? He creates Eve to be an accompaniment with Adam. And so now Adam is not alone, but now Adam has somebody with him. So now he is living in relationship. And you see what ends up happening afterwards is God says, now, Adam, you're going to help me co-create here on earth. I don't know if you knew that, but God said, Adam, you're going to help me co-create. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create an Adam. I'm going to create an animal, and I'm going to bring him to you, and you're going to name that animal. And whatever you name that animal, that's what it's going to be called. God invited Adam into the naming process and co-creating everything that God was creating. He said, Adam and Eve, go ahead and give it a name. Adam and Eve. And so the animals would come one right after another, and he said, give it a name. Now, now lodge that away for a second because I don't think God has told us to stop naming things. So even though Adam and Eve kind of made a mess in the garden, uh, God never said, stop naming things. And so so this is what was happening. Adam and Eve were were, um, naming the things that God was creating here in the garden. And God said, you all need friendship. Now, now, what we've also learned in this series is that our enemy is a liar. And he's a good liar. He's a good liar. Okay. Now, what we've talked about in the past is that what makes a lie a good lie is that it contains some elements of truth. That that's what makes a good lie. What, what makes a good lie is when there's some truth to the matter. And because the enemy is the father of lies, that's what Jesus called him, because he's the father of lies, he's really good at lying. So what he will do is he will pull on a thread that has some truth in it and then distort it. And what I mean by that is God says you need to live in relationship. So what the enemy does is he presents a lie to you, and he comes and he brings a person into your life and says, you need to live in relationship with this person. Because he's pulling on the same thread that Jesus says, uh, he's pulling on the same thread where God said, I need for you to live in community with someone. So the enemy, what he does is he's like, okay, there's some truth there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring people into your life that are going to bring the appearance of community, but they're actually the wrong type of company. He, he's, he's tugging on what he knows to be true. So if God is trying to bring the right people into your life, and if the enemy is also trying to put some people into your life, you have got to be strong enough to discern who's being brought into your life, who's doing the bringing. Is it God or is it the enemy? 
that's where you have got to discern. That, that, that is your part. Now, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing that I want you to write down. There is no such thing as a neutral relationship. There is no such thing as a neutral relationship. There are people in your circle that are either moving you forward in the direction of your purpose or they are pulling you away from your divine assignment. People in your life, the people that you have brought into your circle are either moving you forward, okay? They're either moving you forward in the direction of your purpose or they are pulling you away from your divine assignment. This is why you have got to discern and you have got to ask yourself, who am I walking with? Who, who have I allowed to be in my life? And are they moving me closer to my purpose? Or if I step back and think about it, they're actually pulling me away from what God would have me to do. And, and this is where you have got to discern. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm gonna give you a little, I'm gonna give you the little cheat code right here. Y'all ready for this? Write this down. You have got to define them and then you have got to align them. Write that down if you're taking notes. You've got to define them and then you've got to align them. We talked about this last week when we talked about who's in the room with you. Who's in the room with you? We talked about situational relationships. But when we talk about walking with people, now we're talking about the people that you are making the decision to do life together with. And so you have got to start looking at the people in your life and start to define them. You've got to define what value they add or what value they take away from your life and say what you see. And you've got to just say it like, okay, well, hold on a second. There's this person over here, and they always make me feel loved. They always make me feel valued. And my time with them never feels wasted. That's a good relationship to have right there, right? If this is a person that always makes me feel valued, always makes me feel loved. So you're defining it. You're, how does this person make me feel when I'm with them? What does this person do for me? Say what you see, okay? So define that relationship. Or maybe there's another person on the other corner. This person over here always talks bad about other people. And the chances are they are probably doing the same thing about me to other people. So you got to take inventory. Man, this person that I'm walking with, they never have anything nice to say about people. Okay, define that. Define that. And think to yourself, where, how close am I going to allow this person into my circle if they've never got anything nice to say about anyone? It's just, just gossiping about everyone. And I know you think you have the gift of a listening ear. But just know that if they're talking, they talking to you about other people, they're talking to other people about you too. So you got to define that. How about there's a person over here and they're only around when they need something. They only are around when they need something to find that. But then there's this person over here who's always around when I need something. There's this person over here. Every time I call them, it's always a yes. There's this person over here. Every time I need something, they're the first one at my door. They're the real ones. I love that language right there. You ever hear someone say that? Man, they're a real one. They're a real one. So, so you have to begin to define these people in your circle and start asking yourself these very, very hard questions about, are they moving me in the direction of my purpose or are they pulling me away? Is this a relationship that is helping me get closer to God or is this a relationship where the more time I spend with them, the less I want to be like Christ? And we have to ask ourselves, where are they and what are they making me do? I wrote this down. This is Pastor Josh's quote. Last week, I gave you a bunch of quotes from other people, but I wanted to give you all some stuff. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the people who are going to help you walk in the direction of your purpose and bring them in closer. Find the people 
who are going to help you walk in the direction of your purpose and bring them in closer. Because here's the thing, guys, they exist. You got some people right now in your life. That's the beautiful thing about God. I know that God has placed people in your life that are going to move you closer to your purpose. You just got to make a decision to bring them in a little closer. That's why some of y'all don't want to join the dream team. You're a little worried about getting closer to Jesus. You're like, I kind of like my situation right here. Just kind of do my thing on the weekends, show up on Sunday. You know, let them serve me some coffee, help me find a seat. I ain't trying to go with them and serve on that team and get closer to Jesus. Don't, don't catch me with that stuff. And some of us, it's because of fear, and I'll unpack some of that in just a minute. But what you have to do is start bringing people into your life that are going to move you closer into the direction of your purpose. This is another reason why we want you in a connect group. We want you to find some people that are on the same journey as you, and together we are moving closer into the direction of our purpose. Now, now let me give you some hard truth about these people. Y'all ready for this? This one is hard. Okay, write this down. You want to go after the ones who want to see you succeed. People, find people who want to see you succeed, not just want to see you happy. Okay? Process that for a second. Find you some people who want to see you succeed more than they want to see you happy. I I know we just want friends that will come into our life and will agree with our decisions so we can feel happier about our decisions. Well, I can make a decision to eat nothing but sugar and carbs all day, and that would make me happy. That would make me very happy. But it's not good for me, is it? If that's the only thing that I'm eating is sugar and carbs, that'll make me happy, but it, it ain't good for me. And in the same way in life, oftentimes we will bring people into our lives that will agree with our bad decisions and will bring the type of friends into our life that will say, yeah, go ahead, man. You only live once. YOLO. (laughs) You need some people in your life that are going to tell you, hey, man, that's not good for you. Yeah, but I'm happy. I get that you're happy, but that's not good for you. I like talking to that girl. She makes me happy. I know, but you're married. You're married. So knock it off. You get what I'm talking about? Some real friends that'll look you in the eye and say, hey, no, no. You guys get what I'm saying? Are y'all tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? You need to find these people in your life, okay, that want to see you succeed more than they want to see you happy. I just just want to be happy. No, I, I don't want you just to be happy. I want to see you succeed here in this life. If you think about, I'm, I'm, I'm happy when I'm with this group of friends, but that group of friends, they keep getting a little closer to wilding more and more. One of these days, you're happy. You're having a good time with them. They're going to get themselves in the situation. You're going to be right there going with them, getting locked up with them, getting taken away with them. So, so you need people to say, hey, man, I, I get I get that that was your friend when you were 10 years old and you just have a good time when you're with them. You still talk about Pokemon and all that stuff. But listen, <laughs> listen, he's going in a different direction than where God wants you to go. You got to be careful. You need some friends that weren't around you that want to see you succeed. You need people in your life that want to see you succeed more than they want to see you happy. And listen to me. I'm going to talk to the kids now in the room for just a moment. Listen to your mom and dad. Can I, I thought I'd get a good amen out of all the mom and dads in the town. I'm trying to help you right now. Forget about it. We'll talk about something else then. Okay. 
Your, your, your parents, the truth, the truth is, let me talk to all the young people in the room. I'm looking at my 12-year-old too. Just, your mom and dad are the people in your life that most want to see you succeed. So typically when they're saying something to you, it is because they want the best for you. They just want my life to be boring. No, that ain't it. That ain't it. They've just walked a little further than you. And they've lived a little longer than you. And believe it or not, they were teenagers too one time. And so the, what they want for you is they want for you to succeed. And so you, you, you got, I know it's attention. They don't want me to have any fun. That ain't it. They just want to see you succeed more than they want to see you have fun. Because if you can succeed now, you can have a whole lot of fun later in life. But if you mess up right now, it's going to make the later part of your life a lot more difficult. Can I get a good amen on that? Solomon says, hang around foolish people and find yourself doing foolish things. You got to make a good decision about the company that you're keeping. You know, Paul also said this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Let's get that scripture up on the screens. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The Apostle Paul said that. New Testament. Some of y'all are like, that's a proverb passage. That's Old Testament. Okay, let me take you to the New Testament. I like how Paul puts it. He says, do not be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. And, and, and so what, what, what I see with all of this is, is, is oftentimes we've got um, so many of our youth that grow up in church. Come on. How many of you grew up in the church? Raise your hands. Make some noise. If you grew up in the church, where are my church kids at? We're all everybody that slept under the pew growing up. I, I grew up sleeping under the pew and attending long church. How many of you went to long church growing up? Church was three hours, all right, on a Sunday. You could fall asleep during the middle of the service, wake up, and still catch the sermon. You know what I mean? That's, that's the type of church I went to. And we went to church all day. Sunday was an all-day affair. You showed up at 10 a.m. for Sunday school. Y'all remember that? How many went to Sunday school? That, 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 that went from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. <laughs> and then as a peace offering, the church would offer food inside of the fellowship hall. How many y'all remember the food in the fellowship hall of the church? How many of y'all grew up on that? And then they'd be like, go home and change. Come back at 5 o'clock. We're going to do it all over again. <laughs> that was the type of church I grew up in. 10 to 12, I mean, that was just like the preamble. You know what I mean? Like, this is the precursor. Come back at 5. It's going to get lit. You know what I'm saying? And there wasn't no children's church either. I didn't go play like our kids get to go and play. I had to sit in church and not talk. And I didn't have a switch to play with either. You know what I had? A Bible and a pen. I grew up going to that type of church, and so what ends up happening, though, is like we try to teach kids that sometimes if this is all you know, you want to be out there and be the missionary to the streets of Vista. You know what I'm saying? You're like, but, Dad, I'm trying to invite them to church. Listen to me. Let me, let me. let me drop a little information here for all my church kids in here, okay? You can be a positive influence on other people, but that only happens when they are hanging around you, not when you are hanging around them. Okay, so there's a difference there. For everyone that is saying, well, Pastor Josh, you're talking about, you know, not keeping bad company, but I'm a missionary, Pastor Josh. I'm, I'm winning them to the Lord, Pastor Josh. That only happens when they are hanging around you and not when you are hanging around with them. You guys get what I'm saying? Well, Pastor Josh, I had to go to the club. I'm trying to invite them to church, Pastor Josh. <laughs> you going to the club ain't going to make them come to church on Sunday. You getting drunk with them on Saturday night ain't going to make them come to church on Sunday. You running the streets with them isn't going to make them come to church on Sunday. 
You got to make smart and wise decisions about the company that you are keeping because bad company will absolutely corrupt good character. And some of y'all looking at me cross-eyed right now because I know you think you're the missionary to the streets of Vista. I know you think you're the missionary to the streets of Oceanside right now. But listen, you got to make sure that you bring the right type of people close. Let me give you this. I will give you this quote. I love this. This one I, I love. Write this down. You need this one, okay? I got this quote from Dr. Darius Daniels. I think it'll be very helpful. So how do we treat other people? Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to love people biblically. We're going to value everyone equally, but we're going to treat people differently. Okay? Say that again. Love people biblically. Value everyone equally, but you have got to treat people differently. Do, do we love everyone? Absolutely. I'm not saying that to treat that person running the street any different than you would treat, you know, I'm, 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 you, I, you still have to show them the love of God. That you do. You love on them. You, you love on them biblically, which I could spend a whole nother hour talking about that right there. Because when, when, when Jesus was talking about loving others, this is what he said. I want you to love them the way that I loved you. Man, that's unconditional love right there. That, the depth of when Jesus said, I want you to love them the way that I love you. See, many of us don't know that. We got that conditional type of love. Now, nah, I'm only going to love them if they love me back. But to love biblically is to love unconditionally, okay? You need to value everyone equally, absolutely, 100%. We are going to value everyone equally. But the way that we treat people in terms of bringing them into our circle and the access that we allow them to have into our lives, that, that, that has to be different. You, you, you have to be absolutely careful with the people that you are bringing into your inner circle, and you have to use wisdom. Again, we talked about this last week. I want you, Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing this, I want you to be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. And that's the type of discernment that we have to have, Lighthouse Church. Are you tracking with me this morning? We have got to have that type of discernment. Because again, all of these relationships that are being pushed into our lives, God is trying to send some good people, but make no mistake, make no mistake the enemy is trying to bring the wrong people into your life too. Yes, he is. He absolutely cares who you're hanging out with. He knows you were made for community. So what does he try to do? Bring the wrong person into your community. He tries to bring the wrong type of person into your life. And this person will entangle your soul. This person will, 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 will entangle your spirit. This person can greatly, greatly affect your home, your marriage, your relationship with your children. So you have to use wisdom. Who is this person? Am I letting them into my life? And what do I do with this person? So... That's, that, that's, that's one side of the coin. Can I give you the other side of the coin right now? Because this was all so far about really discerning how people come into our lives and, and, and how we should really respond to people and, and how we need to love everyone, value everyone, but also be careful with how much access we give them. So, so let me help you on the other side of this coin because I want you to walk away not with just, okay, pastor, I'm on high alert now. You know what I'm saying? I'm on high, high alert. I know some of you about to go and delete half your followers on Instagram after this. or No, let me say it differently. You're about to go delete half the accounts you follow on Instagram. But let me give you something to think about, okay? So, so how do we love people? And, and you're saying, Pastor, love people biblically and value people um, equally. What does that look like? Let me show you what that looks like. Here, here's some things that we've shared with our dream team. And some things that I like to bring us back to and remind us of with how we treat other people. Number one, this is what we need to do. We need to see people as they could be. We need to see people as they could be. This is what it talks about when you say love biblically. 
When you see someone, you have to begin to see them the way that God sees them. And when God sees us, understand this, when God sees us, he doesn't see us at our worst. Why? Because the worst of us was already taken to a cross and nailed. The, how many you know that the price for sin has already been paid? And how many you know that Jesus, he didn't just die for us, but he died as us. So, so what he sees now is who we could become. Now he sees us as who can this person become? This is how you've got to start seeing people. Does this, does this mean that you assume the best in people? Absolutely. When you're first meeting people, always do it that way. Always assume the best in a person. Always look at them and see, I, I see in you who you could become. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Can I get a good amen on that? We are made in the image of God. We are all image bearers of our creator and our father. And so when you see someone, you've got to see them as they could be. And I know for some of you, that's hard. Can I tell you that this is an area of, of, of big growth for me? Big, 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 big growth. Because I, I, I tell you, I got the gift of discernment. So I'm like on high suspicion. You know what I'm saying? Like, hi. I'm like, what you want? What do you need? But, 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 but I, I, I've, I've shifted. And, and I'm, I'm getting to this place where, where I want to see people as they could be. And, and sometimes people say, well, why would you do that? Well, why would you believe in them? Well, why would you say that? Or why would you do that to them? Because I, I'm, I'm trying to see in them what God sees in them. Because if God thought that they were worth dying for, then I have to be big enough to see what God saw. God, God said, that I love them and they're worth dying for. So I want to serve them the best that I can. I'm going to serve everyone that I can. Serve everyone to the best of my ability because I'm going to see people the way that God sees them. I want to see people as they could be. Here's the next thing, and I'm getting ready to come to a close right now. In addition to seeing people as they could be, this is the next big step right here. Y'all ready? Because remember how we talked about getting the right people in our circle, people that are going to move us closer to our purpose? Let, let, me, let me tell you how you do this. You say what you see, okay? You, you, you say what you are seeing. So if you see the best in a person, say something. Let them know what you are seeing. So when you see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing, hey, listen, man, I, I see the way you're talking to this person, but let me just say this about you. I know that God has a hope for your life. He's got purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you. He's got a future for you. You really ought to rethink this decision that you're getting ready to make right now because I think it's a bad decision that you're getting ready to walk into. You get what I'm saying? You got to say what you are seeing. And sometimes it's been very difficult to have hard conversations with people because we don't like having hard conversations, do we? Hard conversation. We're like, eh, I don't want to have a hard conversation. It's easier for me to just get on my phone and pretend like they're not there. Let me just get on Instagram or, real quick or something. Or let me just I pretend that I'm busy. I don't want to have this hard conversation. But, but what I love, what I love when you look throughout the scriptures is the lifestyle of community that the early believers of Jesus had, the way that they walked together and the way that they lived together, they would not back down from a conversation. One time Paul got so mad with Peter, he wrote it in the book of Galatians. He rebuked him. It's called the open rebuke. Paul got so mad at Peter, said, Peter, why you act one way when the Jews are around, another way when the Gentiles come to the room? That's wrong, Peter. Don't do that. I'm in my Bible. I'm paraphrasing, but Paul said that. Why? Because he was willing to say what he was saying. Paul, now, now I'm not saying, and some of you are like, oh, Pastor Josh, I got the gift of this. You're just nasty to people, and you love being nasty to people. You're just loving to correct people. So you say what you see, but you say it in love, and you're saying it because you want the best for that person. I remember talking to someone. He was like, yeah, they don't invite me to that church because I tell it like it is. I'm like, bro, it ain't because you tell it like it is. because you're mean, and there's a difference, okay? You're just not nice. All right, be nice about it. 
Some people are like, I'm a gifted pastor. Let me talk to your dream team. No, no, sit down. You don't talk. I'm not having you come talk to our dream team. You have to be willing to say what you see. I, I know that's difficult. I, I, I remember, um, <laughs> you know, leading a church, you work with all types. You work with all people. And I remember there was some guys on our team that uh, they would always come to me and talk to, to me about the problems they were having with someone else on their team. And they're like, Pastor Josh, would you go talk to them? You're good at this. I'm like, what? Why am I good at this? Like, they just thought I was the heavy hand. You know what I mean? Like, Pastor Josh, would you go correct that person? Finally, I bought them each a book because I noticed they had this extreme <laughs> passive aggressiveness. I bought them each a book called Crucial Conversations, and I made them read it. You ever heard of that book, Crucial Conversations? You ever read that book? Luis, you know what? I see you with that big head nod right there. You're getting ready. It's employing 150 people. You need to read a book like that. But, but crucial conversations, how to have difficult conversations. But these are conversations that we have to have. You have to be willing to say what you see. Now, here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. I'm closing with this. You don't just say what you see just because, well, I'm glad I got that off my chest. No, do you want to do it the way that Jesus did it? Do you want to do it the way that his early followers did it? This is what they did. This is the last thing. Now, commit to walking together with them. Now, now, now you have to make a commitment to walk together with them. Now, now, now you have got to make the decision that after I've said what I said and after I've let them know what it is that I'm seeing and, and, and after I have had the hard conversation, now I commit to walking with that person and seeing them become everything that God wants them to become. I think, again, about the early church. What I loved about the early church is they were deeply committed to doing life with one another, and, and they were deeply committed to each other. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? They're committed to each other. They, they were, they were, there's, a, there's a difference there when people are absolutely committed to a relationship with one another. There are some people here in this room that you are deeply committed to a relationship with that person. The other day we were doing some leadership stuff and, and, and one of my dear, dear friends, I try to put him on blast, one of my dear, dear friends is in the room. And, you know, when you start talking about leadership stuff, passions can, you know, passions can like flare, you know. I think we got to do it this way. I think we ought to do it this way, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I felt like I might have been a little sharp with someone. So, so I had to call him and say, listen, man, I, I'm sorry if I was sharp. I apologize. And, and, and for me, that, that's being willing to say, you know, I'm so committed to you that I'm going to make that phone call because I'm committed to you. And, and, and if I think just for a second I might have been a little too sharp with you, I'm going I'm to say something because I'm committed to that relationship. What's the opposite? You don't say anything and let a little thing fester. What's the opposite? You don't say something because you just don't want to have the conversation. I, I love how the early church, they were so committed to one another. They were, they, they were, they were so committed. I was reading this morning. I, I, I'm, 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 uh, every morning I get up and I read my Bible reading program, even on Sundays. They don't stop on Sundays, but every morning I get up and read the Bible. And I was reading today how Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible says he was a rich man. And he was also a follower of Jesus. That's what Matthew said. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man and a follower of Jesus. And when they had crucified Jesus and put him on a cross, Joseph of Arimathea, he went to the governor and said, I want the body. Give me the body. I'm going to bury him myself, and I'm going to put him in my tomb. That, that, that's, I mean, think about that for a second. You only buy one tomb for yourself, right? You know what I'm saying? At least I hope you do. Um, 
sometimes think you're going to die. But he buys himself one tomb for himself. But this life of togetherness, this life of being so committed to one another that he buried Jesus in his tomb. And I just took note of that. I'm like, man, that, that's, that's some close living. That's some really, really close living. But here's what happened. Here, here's what happened. In the New Testament, the way that the church lived committed to each other, the way that they loved each other, it made the church attractional. It, it made the church irresistible. Sometimes you hear in church growth conferences, we're going to be an attractional church. And some people say, oh, that just means they dilute sin, let people do whatever they want. They're trying to be an attractional church. But, but when I see attractional in the New Testament, what happened was the culture, those that were outside looking in, was looking at the way of life that these Jesus followers had. There, there was a pace to their way of life that was slow. There was a love that they had for one another that was very different than the love that they had. There was just a way that they existed together and in this community that all of the culture and all the world said, I want that. That, that doesn't exist. Keep in mind the church was born at the time when the Roman Empire was peaking in its conquest of other nations and slavery and genocide and racism and, and the, the, their treatment of women. And, and, and this is, the church is born into this time in history where it's a bad place. I mean, it's really, really bad. And yet they lived differently. And Paul would say, listen, those of you that have slaves, you have to love your slave like your brother. And those of you that were born into slavery, you have to love your master. And not, not because they were believing in that system. That was just a system that existed. So what Paul says, we're going to upend this system by the way we love one another. We're going to completely do it differently. And so that's what I believe made the early church so attractional. And it made it irresistible. It's what made it a force because it was countercultural. The culture looked nothing like it. The world didn't see anything like it because the original Institute for Justice, the original organization that, that, that perpetuated social justice was the church. Go and read the letters and read everything that happened in the church. They were the ones that were fighting and pushing back against racism. That was the organization that was pushing back on, on, on sexism. They were the organization that was pushing back on all of that. And it made them so irresistible. But it really comes back to this. They committed to walking with one another. At Lighthouse Church, as we get ready to make room for more, as we get ready for the next season of our church, as we get ready for what God has for us, I wonder, would you be willing to commit to walking with people more? I know it might stretch you out of your comfort zone. I know it might say, but that's just not the way that I'm wired. I get that. But part of following Jesus is laying down who we are and picking up his cross. So, so, so I get that it's not easy, but that's, there's a reason why they call it a cross. I get that that may not be easy for you, but this is what we do. We lay down our preferences. We lay down the way we would want to do it, and we pick up his way of doing things. Jesus says, I love how... Um, I love how the writer 
talks about how we need to learn the unforced rhythms of, of grace. And this is the life that Jesus invites us into. And Lighthouse Church, as your pastor, I just want to say that this is the life that I hope we can walk into as well. That, that we can walk into this life that becomes irresistible to the culture around us. Where the culture says, man, that, that's just different. But it's the way of Jesus. And it's the way of following him. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'd love to pray with you as we get ready to close out our time together. I hope you all learned something through this series called Relation Slips. Come on, clap your hands if any of this has been helpful to you. Whether it was today or some of the last four weeks. Our worship team is going to come up right now and we're going to enter into a time of worship right now. And before we do, I'd ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to pray for you right now. It's right there where you're at. Would you let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for everyone that is here right now. I thank you, God, for bringing them here. I thank you, God, for all that you're getting ready to do here in this moment as we conclude our service. Father, I pray that in this moment you make us aware of some of our preferences. You make us aware of some of, uh, some of things that we'd like to do our way that might actually be against the way that you would want it done. And in this moment, would we be stretched? Would we be challenged? Would you do a work in us right now where we would begin to see the things that we know? i, I got to surrender that thing. If I'm going to do it Jesus' way, I've got to let go of that thing. If I'm going to do it his way, i got to let go of that relationship. If I'm going to do it his way, I, I've got to treat that person a little differently now. God, bring all these things up to mind, Father, so that you can begin to deal with them. As Jeremiah said, we want to be the clay and we need for you to be the potter right now. Would you just begin to shape us? Would you begin to mold us? Father, we are the clay in your hands. Would you begin to remove the impurities and the imperfections and the things, Father, that get in the way of what you're trying to do in and through us? Father, we want to be the clay in our hands. Would you be the potter right now, Father? Mold us and shape us until we become more like you, Father. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.